0: Hey everybody, happy Valentine's Day and welcome back to a new episode of The Things I Haven't Even Told My Therapist. My name is Connor Lloyd. I'm an all else pretty normal college student with depression, anxiety, and panic disorder. Through the lens of my experience and the stories of my friends, I want to change the way we as academic institutions, athletic organizations, and overall society address matters of mental health. The episodes of this show dive into many different topics and disorders that both I and my guests have faced in our respective journeys to seek clarity in our pain. Going with the holiday theme, I thought it would be a good time to discuss the highly requested topic of relationships. I want to leave the interview to do most of the talking, but dealing with mental health in both platonic and romantic relationships is an ever-changing and complicated matter. While I've never been one to mince words, a quality that extends to my off-air discussions about mental health with platonic friends, I've never had an easy time expressing my struggles with romantic partners. I wish I had a clear reason, but I think it is more of a subconscious block stemming from my internalized pressures and experiences, along with a history of trust and vulnerability issues particularly tied to those whom I care about the most. Despite what the movies say, even the best relationships aren't easy all the time. So adding struggles with mental health to them yield an even more difficult situation. It takes a great amount of mutual strength and support just to make it work some days. Some couples are able to communicate effectively and produce an environment in which they can grow together, while those who don't grow apart. To discuss this, I had on my good friend since early high school, Quinn Gilman. He is a student at Santa Clara University, and together we've been through just about every step of both of our journeys from closed-off teen to open and mentally conscious young man. He and I discussed his story coming to terms with his anxiety and depression, then dove into our recent histories and heartaches to examine the ways in which we should go about addressing mental health in our relationships. With that, from sunny California, brought to you via FaceTime, I give to you the Quinn and Connor Things I Haven't Even Told My Therapist Valentine's Day Special. Enjoy. Enjoy quinn gilman welcome to the studio my friend
1: thank you for having me it's good to it's good to be here connor i'm really excited for today i've been looking forward to being on this i mean we we wanted to get this done what like a month and a half ago so it's good to finally get it going
0: right right for those of you who don't know quinn and i tried to get this done back in seattle but he got COVID over in Europe, so. (laughs) Uh,
1: As one does. Yeah, as
0: as one should, honestly. So, So with that, Quinn, I'm just gonna open the floor to you and sorta tell the story of really how you came to terms with the beginning of your struggle with mental health.
1: Definitely, for me, as I think a lot of us kind of deal with, it started like at the start of puberty and it was kind of just began with some anxiety, especially social anxiety, which I definitely still have trouble with today. Um, And then also at times trouble with depression as well. And we'll get into some of that later. But I guess for me, it really started getting bad around sophomore year of high school. I was 17, 16 years old, 17 years old. And I began to go through a really rough patch. My girlfriend at the time broke up with me because of me being an idiot. I, you know, kind of started to get into things that I really shouldn't have gotten into, which we will also start talking about later. And my mental health just started to spiral. I was unwilling to seek help. And I would really, you know, take these problems out on the people closest to me, my parents, my friends, my sister. And I like to, I, I withdrew. I wasn't, I didn't go and seek support. I, I withdrew. And so the worst part of it was for me, that year, right after, I had to miss my spring break because I was about to go on a forced school trip to Canyonlands, Utah, which actually Connor was supposed to go on me, go with me. <laughs>
0: he skipped out so he could enjoy spring break, but that's a story for another. Okay. Time. Te- technically, technically, <laughs> I I had a bum knee, but yeah, that's true. That's
1: true. But yeah, I was not looking forward to this at all. I had to miss my spring break, where I was planning on, you know, getting rowdy with my friends. And basically, I really wasn't ready to go on this. I was out of shape. I hadn't backpacked in years. And we were hiking like 110 miles in the Utah canyons. And I knew no one. So I was really not excited. But honestly, what ended up happening was, you know, we get there the first day. I'm absolutely dreading it. I've been sitting next to someone on this bus for like six hours. I had Qdoba in the airport before for some reason, which was a huge mistake before going on a backpacking trip. I don't know what I thought. We had to, we had to, is it cool to swear? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. We had to shit in holes. We had to shit in a hole <laughs> and then keep our dirty toilet paper in a plastic bag. So as you can imagine, the Qdoba didn't agree with that. But yeah, we, we ended up watching the sunset That first day after we got there and it was gorgeous and that was kind of the beginning of of the turnaround for that trip for me and then um, as it went on more and more I had no phone which I forgot to mention at the start Um, I had no phone on this trip and I was not with any of my close friends but what ended up happening was as I was on this trip I realized okay one you're really struggling with some serious mental health issues and two you need to do something about that. You can't just sit here and let it happen. That's not that's not the way to deal with it. And so, you know, I got through this trip. I really enjoyed it. It was, in my opinion, probably the most pivotal moment in my life today still. I started seeing a therapist. I started talking to my parents more. My relationship with them really improved. And in general, I started taking care of myself a lot better. But the thing that was the most important was I realized I had to take self-action. I had to, I had to be my own free agent in this and, and do something about it. And I think that that was something I needed to realize early on that when you're dealing with these issues, you can't sit by and let it happen. And I know that is hard to do, but for me, it has been now six, seven years of like on and off struggling with this stuff. And what always really helps me through it is doing stuff for myself, whether that's getting up and working out or going on a walk or cleaning my room or making a nice breakfast, anything just to kind of feel like I'm being productive. And that was just something I wanted to share at the start of this, because for me, that has been the best lesson I've learned in terms of mental health.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's um, a little long winded, but yeah. No, no. I sit down and talk about myself for 20 minutes sometimes. So <laughs> don't worry about it. So coming out of that relationship, I know that was a particular struggle for you. Yeah. That, that was a particular struggle for the entire uh, friend group of ours. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Oh yeah.
0: How did that time shape your mental health experience?
1: Here's my opinion on it is, I think I was gonna eventually have those sort of struggles no matter what. And I think maybe I'm being presumptuous, I think everyone is gonna have those struggles at some point. And so one, I'm glad that it came when I was in high school living with my parents, whether I liked it or not, I still had a support system. My mom was not just gonna let me sit in bed all day uh, and like drown in my own sorrows. So that was one thing and then two, I'm trying to find the right word for this because I think accountability, self-accountability really became a big thing in my life. And I don't want to bring bring gender or sex or whatever into it, but it taught me how to like be, in my mind, what a man is. And it's not you shut that down and you don't deal with it. It's you, you take accountability for what you do and you do what you think is right. And you eventually end up learning how to deal with your issues in a healthy manner where you're not harming yourself and you're not harming other people around. And that, for me, was a really pivotal step, not only in my mental health journey, but just in my life in general, was realizing that I had to take accountability for what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, these last couple months sort of coming to terms with my whole drinking habits and my lack of understanding, my lack of self-awareness with the gravity of what I was really feeling. I, like, holding yourself accountable was something I never even had thought of at that point. I had people express concern to me about my habits when I was drinking and I'd be like, oh, I'm not somebody who wakes up every day and like first thing I think of is that I need a drink. Like I'm not an alcoholic, yeah. which like I am I would say like, oh, I'm just like a college kid or I'm just like a heavy college drinker. Yeah. And obviously when push came to shove and my habits there and my constant inability to take decent care of myself came in the way of me and my relationships and causing one in particular to end, I harbored a ton of guilt about that and really knowing that it was all my fault that things really came to what it was. At least at the time, that was how I internalized it. The the first couple weeks of that and like looking back, things and perspectives change, but like learning to forgive myself and understanding the mistake and understanding my need and my will and my capability to get better and be better in general was a huge stepping point for me. Yeah. So I I, I know you really struggled with like the guilt you felt about that and really beat yourself up for it and that obviously Definitely. doesn't doesn't help a lot when you're trying to take care of yourself when yeah. negative self talk can go from bad to worse. It tends exactly. to make a lot of things get a lot lot yeah. worse. So I was wondering if you could share some aspects of your own story with that.
1: Yeah. And I do just want to say also, I'm not some dude that's constantly thinking about how I can do the most morally right thing and always holding myself accountable. Like, oh, I slept in today and being met Like, no, I'm not. No one is like that unless you're like, I don't know, David Goggins and you're a psychopath. (laughs) Like, that's like... No one's doing that, but I think at the end of the day, it's trying to check yourself and and do your best at it. And I think that's all anyone can do. But to talk about, yeah, negative self-talk in particular, I think that's something everyone has a problem with, whether it's small things or big things. And so in my case, it was like, I was a 17 year old, 16, I think, just coming out of my first relationship. And I had no idea how to cope with the fact that one, I broke it up with a girl I'd been dating for nine months. And two, it was because I was a 17-year-old kid who had no idea how to even be in a relationship or be there for someone else. I keep saying 17, I was 16 this whole time. But I think you start to, I've used this word, but spiral, where Mm -hmm. you kind of just begin with like, oh, that was a pretty shitty thing I did. And it was. And then it goes to, I'm a shitty person. Mm -hmm. you aren't separating like a singular action from your character as a whole, which I think is where it becomes a really slippery slope because it's like, I mean, I mean you and I talked about the drinking thing. I texted you. I was like, I want to go sober for a bit Mm -hmm. and I actually, it really got my shit together Mm -hmm. and I'm still kind of practicing like, okay, maybe this Friday I'm not going to have to drink. I'm just going to stay home, do some work and then we'll see what happens Saturday. Um, but, (laughs) but like, I think, For me, it's kind of like you need to realize that like the things that you do, do not, especially in high school and even as a young 20 year old. And I think throughout your life, they don't define you unless you make a pattern and a habit of doing. Mm -hmm. I think basically it becomes a slippery slope and you need you need to check yourself. And especially with that, that negative self-talk, I think that is really in my mind was the worst part of it Mm -hmm. because you you ruin your self-confidence in your image of yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know coming out of like high school and the whole situation back then I carried around like a lot of, I I never resolved that internally, all my past and the past of my relationships from high school. And I, I never took the time to come to terms with the mistakes that I made there. And I harbored a lot of guilt from those things entering my relationship in college. And Yeah, it led to a lot of insecurities about I always felt like I was making up for the past. That was something I sort of experienced. I would always rag on myself when I wouldn't take the extra step every time it sort of felt a little rocky or it didn't feel super great. I got so self-conscious, so, so anxious that I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to focus on anything else. And at the time I, I used drinking to cope with that. Without healthy coping mechanisms, without a healthy ability to look internally and be self-aware, the only way I could shut down that negative self-talk, that negative other voice, the the overthinking would be just getting wasted. As yeah, you've seen.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, and I think the especially the like drinking and substance use part. I was I was kind of hesitant to talk about this, but my mom's gonna find out eventually, so might as well just drop it. I definitely used substances to deal with a lot of my issues. And I think particularly weed, sorry, mom. It was like, I couldn't really cope. And I think I still sometimes use it to this day for it, but I didn't know how to cope. And I still sometimes don't know how to cope with certain events where it's like, all you want to do is feel nothing. Or you need, you want some sort of excuse for why you're engaging in stupid fucking behavior. And it's like, I think the point that you bring up about substance is something that I feel like is really hard to hold yourself accountable for Mm -hmm. very difficult as we've seen with a lot of epidemic, like the opioid epidemic in this nation, that's like a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think in general, like I was very impressed by the fact that you were able to just drop drinking for what, what was it? 55 days or something.
0: Yeah. I made it, I, I hit 50. That's, so, that's so sick. I could not do that. Well, like um, the way that started was when my ex was expressing concern about yeah. my drinking and and was asking to go on the break that later became what it was. I was like going through the whole nine yards of like, oh yeah. Like she she was like, if you if you can just stop drinking, then don't do it don't do it until winter break. Like take the time off through finals. I was like, okay, bet I'll. I won't drink until the end of, I, I won't drink until the end of break, which became those 50 days. Obviously, the first three days were, were not very self-motivated. they were they were all fighting for something but yeah as, as I sort of bought into the sober life and realized my ability to push through my social anxieties and push through my depression and just my generic interpersonal relationship, familial anxieties, just the the ones that I've been harboring for so long but never taking the time to healthily confront felt better and better and i started feeling healthier and healthier and by the time i made it to this semester i've felt better than entering any semester of college as far as i can remember i mean yeah 50 days is probably the longest time i've gone without drinking since i started drinking probably because like Uh in high school pretty much something every weekend as soon as we we got into it yeah (laughs) i mean i mean the weed thing A lot of the start of our friendship was mediated. Yeah, yeah. And and just mediated by substances. It was like the first way either of us really found our voice towards a peer. Like you were probably the first guy friend I opened up to about kind of my depression and stuff. And Oh yeah. Like obviously you shouldn't always have those realizations under the influence, but like that started a conversation that has become so much more and like so much more through the history of our lives. And I, I think it was I mean, you were always somebody I could rely on, especially with regard to that stuff. And I mean, it
1: was the same here, you know that.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. For those who don't know, Quinn and I have had a pact, a certain pact, um, <laughs> um, since since probably like junior year of, of high school. Yeah. Maybe even earlier. Yeah, but really, really what that's turned into is like a, a source of accountability. And it started from like a place of deep pain, but also like our... Both of our, quite frankly, habits of using humor and self-deprecation to cope with it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's mildly controversial, but it works and it's worked. Yeah, it does. And um, it's, it's always kept us in check and like, especially communicationally. Yeah. Which I, I think has been touching in a weird way.
1: Definitely. I mean, I feel like even now, sometimes we won't text for maybe like two weeks, but it's always at some point, hey, dude, how are you doing? What's up? What have you been up to? How are you feeling right. and we, we took breaks from that obviously every yeah. once in a while but like for the most part it's been constantly checking in i remember after i got dumped this summer and um, actually <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> on the steps, sub- I'll, I'll let this go first on the substance abuse front i remember i so i was visiting my girlfriend at the time and she broke up with me on that vacation and i had to fly back in coach with this six-six dude behind me with his knees in my chair. I couldn't recline it, just digging his knees into my back. And, and I finally land, and it's like 11.30 p.m. at like 2.30 a.m. the time I was on. And I get home, and my mom is trying to talk to me about what happened. And I'm just like, no, no. Go to the cabinet, go to the liquor cabinet, and pour myself like five fingers of whiskey and just downed it. And that was what I thought was the best way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this is also controversial. Sometimes I think a drink every once in a while can be very helpful for your mental health. I love a good glass of wine to help you go to sleep, but yeah,
0: I mean, lot, moving I, on. I don't, from think, that. I don't think that's very controversial. A lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, do, like, yeah. Yeah. But true. But I mean, obviously as that story pertains to my situation, like, I didn't have the opportunity. I mean, I totally could have. I mean, my dad runs a brewery. I had plenty of opportunity being at home over winter break to say, "Fuck it, this situation sucks," and go grab a drink. <laughs> um, yeah. But some from somewhere in me, I found found the willpower to push through. And knowing that I got through that whole thing sober has been the most like reassuring, refreshing thing. One of the most triumphant feelings I've had since like high school, maybe. And I mean, that's just been awesome. And I mean, I was
1: so impressed. (laughs) I'm proud of you, dude.
0: Yeah. I fully had my bluff called at the start of it. And I said, fuck it. Let's fuck it. We ball. Let's do this shit. (laughs) Fuck it. We ball. So, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but you were saying?
1: No, no. I was just going to say the support system that I had with you and my friends. I remember it was like, I never, it was probably the first four weeks after that, I would go to work and then I would maybe work out and then usually go sit in my bed for like eight hours and be super depressed. And you, you and all the guys would text me constantly, constantly about coming out to hang out and I wouldn't come out. and I wouldn't come out and I wouldn't come out. And then finally I saw you guys, I think late July, early August. And then, I mean, we hung out a few times before that, but that was when I kind of realized like, okay, once again, I'm withdrawing. I'm not using my support systems, and I was lucky enough to have you guys as friends to be like, "Dude, cut the bullshit." Like, we want to be here for you. We want to hang out with you. We want to talk to you. And I think everyone needs that—is friends who are going to be straight up with them and be like, "Okay, stop doing this. You need you need to come talk to us."
0: Just friends who have who, who know that that boundary shouldn't be there and are willing to. Yeah. There's there's a point when pushing isn't the right call. But there's yeah. there's definitely a point when it's like, I need to break down this dude's barrier. And I think it's something that friends do a lot better than parents do. Because when yeah. parents do it, it comes from a very different kind of care. It's like parental care is very different than friend to friend care. It's just a different brand. And there it's it's very intangible. There's no real way to explain it. But like when we went on that camping trip in high school and I was at like an all time low and I sort of opened up to you guys about what I'd been going through. And I opened up that I had been contemplating a, a certain act for a while. And of course this was after the pact had been in place, but like we all broke down and we, we sat. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that night. No, I won't either. Yeah. That was one of, the,
1: I'll never forget the Brown recluse either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That moment in particular always comes to mind when I think of what friendships mean to you, and especially finding those pockets and groups of guys is always, always tough. It's always new. And especially you came in new to Lakeside ninth grade. For me, my closest friends up until ninth grade were always guys from my hometown. And finding that network, especially because like my parents separated in sixth grade, but. Finding that new network, because my closest friend from middle school transferred away uh, before high school, finding yeah. a new network of people to rely on was incredibly difficult. And I found myself engaging in some not super beneficial relationships that might have shown me the lifestyle that with drug like with drinking and substances that I definitely was not prepared for at that time. And it was more than anybody around me was necessarily doing or prone to and yeah and it it, i mean i turned into the meat horse like (laughs) (laughs) the meat horse oh yeah i mean that was that was just an absolute different time in my life but at the same time it's so formative of everything else that happened down the road looking back and understanding your past and how it's caused certain behaviors in your present is imperative in dealing with in coping with and understanding mental health And
1: And, I mean, yeah, I, I wanted to focus on one thing you brought up, which was the camping trip. And I feel like, once again, that brings me back to my Canyonland story. And then also when I went to the Cascades last summer, not this past one, the one before that. I feel like for me, going outdoors and disconnecting from all of the social media, which I know it's a cliche, social media is not really good for our mental health everyone knows that, but we can't seem to give it up. I can't, I certainly don't. Uh, and I don't plan to, but I think getting away from it at least and having some time where you can just reflect and not be staring at your phone screen 24 seven is so, so important. And every time I come out of those, I'm like, why don't I do that? more? Why don't I go outdoors and go backpacking, go to Moab, go to wherever. And that was one thing I wanted to focus in on real quick. Cause those moments for me are always really, really peaceful and they put me in a good place for
0: the next few weeks afterwards. Yeah. I, I live on do not disturb. Yeah. Same. I've been doing that too. Yeah. I know when I say, when I say this to people, they're like, oh, I feel like I would just be checking my phones all the time then. And it, with, without that natural training that you have to feel the, feel the vibration, to hear the bing and pick up your phone right away. And like, obviously at people our age have a lot of stimuli it's super easy to find things to do like you go to the gym play some sports just have sit down eat with friends hang out with friends there's no small amount of activities and distractions in the world around us and i think when i stopped spending so much time on my phone or at least trying to avoid it more actively i i started feeling a lot better about myself because when you spend a bunch of time on your phone you get behind and that just snow, like that snowballs into so many other aspects of anxiety and depression the hardest part of every morning is like getting my feet on the ground sometimes if like i have to yeah. not allow myself to look at my phone otherwise i'm going to scroll twitter i'm going to scroll tiktok cuz you yeah. can and and before you know it 20 30 minutes has gone by if not more and you've completely thrown off your day i mean i'm personally i'm trying to stick to a pretty strict schedule in my life right now and trying to get out out the door by a certain time of day, trying to get certain things done by a certain time of day. And I mean, that's been super beneficial to improving my fitness, my my self-image, my confidence, everything. And when the phone becomes that big of a distraction, it throws everything askew.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I've noticed even the last few times I've gone out on weekends and, week- and weeknights, I've been trying to keep, I've been trying to leave my phone at home. Cause for me, it's like one, you know, I'm like 21 years old at this point and like a junior, I'm not, I can't be like drinking to the point where I'm an issue or like people need to make sure I can get home and stuff. And so it's a lot safer. And also I'm a guy, so I'm not saying I recommend this to everyone, but just as a personal experience, when I don't have my phone on me at social events, I have so much more fun. I'm talking to people, I'm interacting with them. I like don't have the excuse of, hey, I'm like in a room with these people that I don't know, I've never talked to, or I like know a limited amount and I can't just be like, Oh, let me check my phone, make it look like I'm doing something It's like, no, introduce yourself to people, talk to them and just as a personal anecdote, I think that being without your phone or limiting your time on your phone in general is a really beneficial
0: thing. Also just using it as a social anxiety medium yeah. in, in awkward situations or situations where you aren't necessarily feeling the most comfortable. It's really easy to dive into your phone. You spoke about social anxiety. It's something I've dealt with a ton in the past as well. And it's like having a crutch exactly not to mention like having your phone around just opens up a whole new world of extra extra shit to worry about yeah exactly a a whole new world of added stressors definitely yeah so I mean the phone's such a you can talk about it forever but I I want to get back to talking about especially in a relationship due to the experience of my parents divorce and the way things played out there I'm somebody who gets really assured by communication and a lack of communication can be a huge trigger for a panic attack or just a general strong looming anxiety. And that was something I didn't take the time to, to deal with in a healthy way. And I mean, it's something I haven't done a good job of dealing with as long as I've dealt with the background story. I'm, I'm sure I've told you this, but like one night my dad was out with friends and, um, just like grabbing a drink with college buddies. My mom got pretty worked up and had me trying to call my dad to get in contact with him on like a Tuesday night. And it turned into this big overdrawn out thing that it was the first time I was like, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. And because of that, because of that experience, because of the anxiety that I felt and was imparted on me by that, the part of my mind that, Feeds on the communication from those I love is triggered whenever I don't get that back. So, especially when I was long distance, this was something yeah. that was incredibly hard for me to deal with. But it extended to even on campus, and and that goes for every relationship I'm in, both romantic and interpersonal. By, yeah. If I don't feel like well communicated to, both like emotionally, like over text, it, that was something that was a huge It wouldn't necessarily flip me off right away but there would be something inside my brain that i wasn't conscious of flashing a little red button bringing up the subconscious feelings of that original experience and i mean that was by no means like an isolated kind of experience that that founded all that and just kind of living in that world of anxiety caused so much down the road that i never took the time to really look inwards all that much about and I mean, I talk, I talked on the blog, and I talked on a previous podcast about your aces and childhood trauma and how much they affect you, and it's, it's the foundation of everything. Your childhood's the foundation of everything, and yeah. not taking the time to understand the things that you've gone through, even into your college years, and yeah. not taking the time to acknowledge any of it will only get in the way of you finding that place of healing and finding a place where you can start to get better.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And on the communication front, one thing that I feel like I have started to realize in the past few months only is that communication is a two-way street, and you have to set expectations, especially in a romantic relationship, also in interpersonal relationships, but you have to set a standard, I think, Mm -hmm. where it's like, if someone, for instance, like I've seen people before that really don't like to text all the time and I don't love to text all the time either but in some relationships I've been in, it's been like I think both of us have felt the need where it's like we have to text each other constantly Mm -hmm. and we always have to stay in touch and sometimes in my mind you don't need to do that and I think long distance is a different thing we've both done long distance before that is really difficult and the communication there is much different but I think in a relationship where you're dating someone and you're able to physically see them, my opinions have changed a lot on how communication should work there. From, you know, in the past where I would be, I kind of almost expected and assumed that there would be texting every morning and like I would check in on them and they would see what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. Where now it's kind of like, okay, let's text if there's something to talk about or like we want to go get food somewhere. Mm-hmm. And some people, for some people, texting all the time is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But you need to make sure that you have those those standards established for a healthy relationship. It can't just be one person wants to talk all the time, and the other person really just wants to talk when they
0: see each other in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one hundred percent something I I was a culprit of. It was just I was too. Yeah, yeah. And I think a part of that, part of setting that standard, is being able to communicate with your partner about what. Anxieties, really, just your mental health in general, and being able to put put your experiences into words so that they understand the pain that you're dealing with and what it means for you. Finding your voice with mental health in a relationship is always such a difficult thing because at the same time, this is the person you care about the most, which means you both want their like validation and their help, but you also don't want to seem like a mess to them i mean that's just not productive and i always felt and and this was completely internalized i've always had a really difficult time looking in words i mean obviously that's where all the drinking and everything came from yeah if i could cope with my feelings and express them in a healthy productive way as i talked about in my previous episode i mean communication is the key to everything and being able to get the weight of your feelings that may be extremely internalized and you haven't even registered yet, but getting those out of you to whether it be a trusted professional or a trusted friend or your partner. Yeah. It's, it's the key to everything.
1: It's paramount. Yeah, I agree. And I think another difficulty, especially with a romantic partner is that you have to find a balance between, especially if it's concerning an aspect of your relationship, it is, so difficult to bring those things up because it can be manipulative or not even manipulative is the wrong word but you don't want to force them to act a certain way just to accommodate you and it can also be like yeah this really makes me anxious when you do this Mm -hmm. and while that's a fair thing to tell someone it's a really difficult balancing act to try and make sure that you're not forcing them to adapt to everything and manipulating them and making them feel like they owe you something. And that's a really difficult balancing act to accomplish and achieve. And so I think that was always a worry of mine was mm-hmm. like, I don't want to tell this person that what they're doing in this situation makes me anxious because it's not necessarily their, especially if it's just a normal thing that they are doing, you it's not their you job. Don't wanna, to you make don't want to be a burden. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's so difficult to balance those things because there is a point where even someone struggling with mental health and being completely genuine in their feelings can also really be putting a, a large burden on their partner to the point where it can be unfair. And that's mm-hmm. so, I don't even know the answer for how to deal with that in, a, in that situation. I don't know how.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about, I mean, if you're in a relationship, it needs to be about mutual happiness. And if you're not taking care of yourself and the other person at the same time, it needs to be helping, helping lift each other up. And the entire time due to the just natural insecurity I feel in a relationship, just because having seen my parents go from so, so great in my mind to completely apart, I never felt steady in any relationship I was in. And that was something I just kind of lived with and it prevented me from sharing a lot, a lot of the ways that I felt and a lot of the ways cope with things in a healthy way, which of yeah. course, as I've said, countless fucking times just became a whole new problem in another way. Yeah. Real quick. Something
1: I actually really wanted to talk about. I didn't tell you this beforehand, but the what we've been talking about recently made me think about it. I know we've both struggled with body positivity and I think that that's something that is kind of neglected in men's mental health conversations. Here. And that is because, yeah, one, we definitely aren't held to the same standards as women in society. We certainly aren't. And I'm not going to pretend that we are. But I think, I know, I mean, you, you were talking about meat horse earlier. I remember when I, was in, when I was in high school, I would always joke about how I had a dad bod because I didn't want to feel bad about the fact that I was built like a 40-year-old man. And like the, I think that was something I really wanted to bring up because we both, I know we both enjoy fitness. Neither of us are like shredded dudes, but we're in decent shape for our age. You know, we like to work out. And so I think I just wanted to bring this up and hear your experience on it. But yeah, I, I really struggled with it in high school. I started finally like lifting weights and shit senior year when I joined the football team and sat on the bench which was actually a great time i loved that best experience in high school but as i started doing that i started losing weight i started getting better shape but this was always kind of a thing like nagging in my head and even to this day where i'll look in the mirror and i'll just be like what the? like what what are you doing you're in the prime of your youth as as a you're a virile man and you're not (laughs) you're not in better shape like what are you doing with yourself and so i think for me that's something that i still really struggle with and i I don't know if you're open to talking about it. I kind of wanted to hear how you feel.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. That was something that forever has caused a lot of insecurities and a lot of other issues in my life and has been fed by a lot of other issues in my life. I mean, just just to start, like the way drinking affects your physical health alone is ridiculous. Yeah. Drinking increases your body's ability to take in fat and lowers your teeth. Absolutely. But beyond that, I've hinted at it a couple of times. I've told my story on a previous episode of how I gained a bunch of weight going into my sophomore year of high school and how over that winter I had to work it off and I never really found my identity in like a body type for myself because on one hand like I came into high school pretty fit like great shape and uh, yeah, I mean no, I, was, I, 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 was, I was a lifelong athlete um, I was playing varsity like right off the bat then things went sideways and before drinking really became a part of my life, it was binge eating that became my outlet, my my source of control, my way to control my anxiety. Because at that point, I wasn't regularly seeing a therapist. I was not coping in a healthy way. I didn't, obviously, substances never help with that sort of thing. But when you're working at a country club where you get free French fries all summer... Yeah, yeah. you going to eat Trust a lot.
1: Of- me, I get it.
0: Yeah, so I guess... From that experience, I held that identity of who I was for quite a while, even after I got in shape. Um, I remember coming back for junior year, feeling great about the way I looked. Got a lot of really nice comments from people like, oh, you look great, which obviously on the other side means that for a while you didn't. And people you noticed did not that.
1: You not look great, yeah. yeah. But
0: uh Really, as like I came to college, I was obviously on the football team working out a bunch. I was in very good shape. Then as COVID started and I lost my athletic identity, I lost all will to keep up with that. The summer of COVID, I started a relationship, and that was sort of my source of like happiness, if you will. And yeah. I, I didn't feel the need to go to the gym as much. I got really lazy And I got bigger again. You know it's bad when your parents are pointing it out to you. Yeah. (laughs) And that was something that when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like the person that I saw. And in my insecure mind, that had a lot of negative effects on my ability to feel comfortable in my relationship. Like, no matter how great my partner was in expressing, like, a lack of worry or a lack of bother about it, I was always seeing how others looked around me. And knowing that even even if it wasn't nearly as bad as I was sophomore year of high school, whenever I was even slightly bigger, that is who I would see. I would see Mead Horse Connor. And yeah. it's hard to shake that from yourself. But I, I know that had I taken better care of myself, and there were parts of my relationship that made it not super productive for me to take great care of myself. I mean, when you're staying up, Late and and waking up at ten every morning, and that's not going to be the most effective. And we both had different expectations and needs for what we had to do to keep ourselves in check and keep keep ourselves in shape. Because when I want to, I can put on weight like a like a motherfucker, like yeah, nobody's same. business. Just dirty bulk, but without the muscular bulk, without <laughs> the lifting part. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've been there. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's something that I'll always struggle with. I think. But at the same time, it's something that is pretty easy to keep in your mind. Yeah. And the, the whole point of like body dysmorphia from my own experience is like, it's all an internalized thing. And the way you see yourself just isn't the same way other people see you. And it's a weird psychological trick that occurs, but you got to understand that only you can take control of the way you look. Yeah. Take some steroids. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I could have, I could have SARM cycled. That's true. Yeah. Um, Just living a healthier lifestyle all around has improved my fitness, has improved my image, and it's improved my confidence in everything that I do. I mean, I made the mistake of my inability to confront my issues, creating the pathway to somebody I cared about a lot. Yeah. Losing the ability to feel the same way. And it just wasn't a fair situation. And all that be there in the past... It's my job to just make sure that I do whatever I can to take care of myself in the process. Because in that relationship, I did not do a very good job of looking out for myself at all. Just out of places of constant insecurity and anxiety. And just even though it was all internalized, I always felt so unsteady. And like I was walking on eggshells, which just made everything worse. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I have no filter ever. But I know. Yeah. Yeah, I know you know, but but yeah, I got to do what I can to make sure that those things that I spent the last seven years of my life feeling are not becoming a bane on the lives of the people I care about. And the only way to start that process is to work on it yourself. Albeit it, it takes the support of some really fucking great friends to get there. There are a lot of points that I throughout the last two months where I've I've needed to lean on those around me. And I'm lucky enough that I still have those people in my life, even when they're all the way across the country or at like the base of this coast. But yeah, like I said, there's something special about the way friends care for you and close friends care for you. And I wouldn't be here today without that. Yeah, I, I don't know how I just got to that Starting from a, a, <laughs> a talk on uh, talk on body positivity. Bo- body positivity, body body image, but like I said, it's really just connected to everything, and that was just every everything just flowing at the same time. Yeah, this will be both of our first single Valentine's days in a while. True, so, true. Uh, that I gotta find a date. Um, I'm
1: joking. I'm not gonna find a date. No shot. I one thing I want to talk about that you brought up when you're talking about body positivity and then when you segwayed into friends as well is I think the importance of goals in your life. And that's why I think fitness is really helpful. That's why I think, you know, school, work, whatever it is, is really, I'm a big fan of. And I think also even the small things, because it's like, okay, I went and worked out and this lift went up five pounds. That's, that's like a win for the day. And then I set my alarm for six and I got out of bed at six. I didn't sit on my phone. I didn't put it to sleep. I got up at six and stuff like that. Like I quick aside, I got a digital alarm clock and I stopped sleeping with my phone in my room. And that has been great. Highly recommend it. But just in general, doing those things where you can give yourself like a, a small win during the day. I know I sound like a football coach or like Lango right now, but
0: shout out to goat. Yeah.
1: Shout out to goat. But giving yourself something to be proud of, I think is so important. Not only in mental health, but just in general, because it keeps you moving. It keeps you working towards something.
0: Absolutely! Shout out the things I haven't even told my therapist. Podcast webpage. Yeah, dude. yeah. Shout yeah. out the blog. Yeah. Go check out the short I, the short guide yeah. to to achieving your goals from my very very unexpertly opinion. Yeah. Baby David Goggins out here. Yeah. Oh my! Uh, not even close. That's a psycho. That dude's psycho. Yeah, but in a sick way. I, yeah, I know. I love him. Yeah. The only way to grow is by going through shitty things, which I I think has made it so much easier for myself to, to look inwards and go through this path of healing that I have lately is that I'm not short on experiences to pull from where I, I look to them and say, oh, there's something I can learn from that. At the same time, there's a lot of things where I'll be looking back over it and Maybe beat myself up for it a little bit. It's, it's hard to balance finding clarity and just resparking an old anxious episode.
1: Yeah, I
0: agree. But the only way to get better is to like face those moments and get through them. Yeah. And and I think you learn ways to do that. You learn healthier coping mechanisms along the way.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the exact phrase is. It's like adversity breeds success or something like that. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Failure yeah. breeds success. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Not that, that I
1: have any of the success part down, but
0: that, I mean, we're I'm sti- moving towards it. We're, yeah, we're, we're still in the failure steps, I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I've been there for like 10 years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing with regard to relationships as they change, as they end, both friendships and romantic relationships. And I think this is something that you and I, we definitely went through our own little rough patch. Of like, course. Yeah. Like, like seniors. As year. all
1: good friends do. Yeah.
0: I mean, it takes caring about someone a lot to hold a lot of disdain for them for periods.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then eventually come back to them too.
0: Yeah, exactly, true. But I think the most hurtful part of it all is the sudden change. And I was wondering how you cope with that and how when things get rocky or unsteady or unsure or just feel like all of a sudden it's spinning out of control in your life, what ways do you go about confronting those issues
1: as i talked about before i went through a pretty serious breakup this summer after about a year and a half of dating or so somewhere around that and then as you kind of brought up or alluded to like junior year of high school we kind of had like a rift for three or so months and in both of those situations what you know brought me out of that feeling of not only like losing control but losing someone that you really care about was a change in lifestyle And I don't think it has to be drastic, but, like, for me, for junior year, we were, like, best friends. We hung out, like, every day That the summer before that. And I ended up actually becoming friends with some of my best friends. Now, when we had that rift, because it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to hang out with Connor, so I'll go hang out with, like, um, I'll name drop them: Ethan Will Hayden. Because mm-hmm. and I didn't really know them, but they just invited me to come hang out one day, and then it went off from there. And now I have three dudes who are going to be there on my wedding day, mm-hmm. and will know my kids. And so that happened. I started taking tennis more seriously when I was a junior as well, although I was never very good. And then this year, which is a lot more fresh in my mind, so I have more to talk about for that. I, you know, as you were talking about, when you're in a relationship, you stop caring about kind of your own fitness or your own kind of like yourself honestly sometimes you kind of forget about it and you know I started working out again I started eating better I worked a lot of hours that fucking pizza place a lot of hours and then
0: yeah, I you had some cool co-workers though
1: I did actually yeah through some free pictures sorry Jason if you hear this but in general I think it's a change in lifestyle a change in scenery especially this summer I as I said i initially when I was coming out of that I was like drinking a lot and smoking a lot of weed doing things that idiot 20 year olds do and they break up with someone and an idiot 21 year old me would probably still do
0: going back to what you were saying earlier with regard to us not being able to get you out we'd all try and get you out of your house and you'd text us like yeah I'm coming and then it'd be 9 p.m and you'd go oh sorry can't drive yeah. Which, props for being responsible and not getting behind the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Just quick quick reminder, this podcast does not endorse drunk driving. No, do not. Do not do
1: that. It's not worth it.
0: But sorry for interrupting.
1: No, no, I appreciate it. I mean, yeah, it would be every night I'd have like a bottle and a half of wine, maybe some whiskey on ice, something like that. And then I'd smoke a J. And I think eventually when I came out of that, the thing for me that helped me deal with the fact that I had lost my best friend and the most important person in my life was kind of accepting the fact that that's just gone and it doesn't mean that you'll never be friends with them again or you aren't going to talk to them again but accepting the fact that you have to now be your own person and that that person is has to be in the rear view for you to get better that is what I eventually realized was that I as much as I care about this person and as much as I'm sad that I'm not with them anymore right after that I think realizing that, okay, this happened, what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. What can I do for myself? Because right now, sitting in my bed and drinking a bunch of wine and being under the influence every hour that I'm not working is not good for me. Mm-hmm. So what can I do?
0: Yeah, that's all you really can do. It sounds like it started a great deal of coping and, and helping yourself yeah. for you and for and I, one- you. I, I think there are a lot of ways that relationships prevent you from being able to face the nitty-gritty. Like it's having someone there always that can just cheer you up like human ecstasy. It's such a crutch to fall back on. And I found that when my relationship ended, I had completely forgotten how to like deal with coping alone. And that was what made the beginning. I mean, honestly harder than anything else was just going through it alone again. And I think in that time, I, as I said, relied on the help of some great friends, but I just had completely lost my, my agency in my voice and in my mental health and my ability to face things alone.
1: Yeah. One thing I just wanted to say real quick that I really, really think is important and that took me a long time to realize with regards to relationships was in my circumstance, I had felt like I had been like wronged almost, you know, like I was here for you this whole time and then I got broken up with and I was pissed and at the beginning it was like, okay, if I think of this person in like terrible terms and hate them that'll help me get over it and that was not the right way to do it mm-hmm. and I think that having some honesty with yourself when you look back at a relationship and realizing where you fucked up and not just putting all of this blame on some abstract idea of a person and thinking of them in these terrible terms I think that is so important for actually getting over it and it took me months to realize that that I don't have to hate this person because they didn't do anything wrong to me it was just time for the relationship to end Mm -hmm. and that was the biggest hurdle for me in eventually getting over it was it is not on this person to make me feel better Mm -hmm. we're not married yeah
0: Um, i lived the exact opposite of that realization but it speaks to the exact same sentiment like i spent the beginning focusing on all the things i fucked up and all the things i like yeah. hated myself for and all the things i messed up but at the end of the day i think acknowledging that sometimes things run their course whether it's for good or whether it's for the time being nobody nobody knows and yeah i think another thing like with regard to anxiety is understanding that life's out of control and respecting that and that the only constant the only thing you can control is yourself at the center of it all definitely so, yeah. I mean, another thing that makes everything more difficult is, well, I found a quote with regard to relationships that I, I've kept in my phone with this episode in mind. Some people were brought up with so much chaos that they developed the belief that it's safer than peace. Anytime things seem to be going well for them, they have to create unnecessary chaos because it doesn't feel safe.
1: You're the wild card, bro. You're an agent of chaos. Yeah. In the best way. Not Maybe not anymore. I, I don't mean that anymore.
0: No, no, I mean, you're right. Sometimes, it's just like living in a whirlwind, it was my normal. It wasn't what I enjoyed, but it was what I'd grown accustomed to and yeah. coming out of that and like establishing like a normalcy in my life has been <sighs> fucking unreal.
1: I'm um, sure I'm sure we kind of talked about this, but the transition from being in a relationship to being single, and mm-hmm. then it at least in my experience the difficulties with them starting to talk to someone else and starting to maybe form a romantic relationship with them. And I think that that's something that was very, very weird for me. I, especially as we talked about, like long relationships, and now you are in a sea by yourself. I haven't flirted with a girl in two years. I don't know what I'm doing. And now I have to completely change the way that I operate. The reason I wanted to bring this up was because I think it's something that is incredibly, incredibly weird and difficult. You don't have the support system anymore that you had. You don't have the comforts that you had, whether it was like, oh, I'm waking up and getting coffee or breakfast with this person. And now you have to transition to something completely new. And so what I kind of wanted to bring up was, how have you found yourself transitioning (laughs) How, how have you found the transition from being in a relationship to being single how have you seen that play out what have you seen happen
0: with that haven't really started the whole like bachelor life aspect as i've said this whole thing's really been about myself yeah as it should be but there are definitely some elements of comfort and routine that i've had to learn to live without and some things have changed like in that regard for the better as i said with Helping my sleep schedule and helping my fitness life and sleep alone is getting on a better schedule has been the key to it all. But like it's hard to feel truly alone when you have good friends and good people around. The night before fall semester, we had a long conversation about how my drinking was becoming a problem. And I expressed how lost I felt without football. I kind of realized it for the first time. I had a big old black eye from rolling out of bed, smacking my face on the ground, drunk, obviously. And I never really debriefed that conversation in a healthy way. And then as the semester moved forward, I just drank more and more because I never felt secure. Again, just kind of living, knowing that the only person I have to worry about caring about me is me right now Yeah, is a very welcome change. My parents' divorce was so tumultuous because it went from my, my dad living in to my dad living out to my dad living back in, even though he was planning on divorcing anyway, while my mom wasn't fully aware that he was still planning on divorcing or she was just in denial. And I mean, just kind of living in that situation and knowing what it feels like to sort of live on the edge of watching someone go yeah. is something I'd gotten used to from my past, but something I was so anxious to repeat.
1: The example you see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think in my mind, I always built up any fight as the big fight, the yeah. one that would be the end of it. And in my life, in my reality, just any small altercation would always turn into something more. And yeah, that couldn't be further from the truth in the situation of my relationship. But as you said, your experiences are all you know. And yeah, I think circling back, the biggest point of being single again, has just been the ability to refine myself. And I mean, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be nearly as healthy as I am now had she delivered me the wake up call of that breakup. And I mean, it sucked, yeah. and, but at the same time, I'm feeling pretty good. I can only focus on my aspects and my mistakes and only I can grow from them. And that's my job. That's all I'm focusing on right now, really. And being single is giving me the ability to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there, there's your answer. Yeah. I mean, this
1: should I a similar finding of myself after? Mm-hmm. I think everyone kind of needs that wake-up call. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Life's, life's about to get real. Yeah. Facts. Um, now's a good time for those wake-up calls. True. That was a good question. The interviewee turned into the interviewer.
1: Oh yeah, buddy. Thought I wouldn't bring some smoke to this.
0: <laughs> the last thing I'm going to ask you is I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And I think a lot of growth comes from the hardest times in your life. And it's it's never something you want to live, but it's something you can benefit from. And I think there's a lot of mentality change that, that you need to take into account in order to see moments of growth in the hardest of times. But those are the most productive times to grow and improve yourself. And at the end of the day, how do you take the mistakes of your past, absolve yourself of the guilt, and turn them into something productive for your future?
1: It's using those as prompts for change in your life. And I think, for me, a big thing was, I was and still can be extremely condescending towards people, I can be an asshole, I know this, I really try my best not to be, But sometimes it just happens. And so, what I've been trying to do is not be as condescending. So, checking myself if I say something and I'm like, dude, that's like, why would you say that? Like, you know, so that's one thing. And realizing that, like, when someone tells you that you've been condescending before, you should probably take their word because they're probably right. And so, I think that is one thing. And then also, as I said, using it as a prompt, but also, accepting it for what it is, accepting that it's in the past, that you can't do anything about it now unless it is something that you can somehow change. But for the most part, it's like, okay, I fucked up in this area at this time and I can't do anything about that now. I'm not, I can't go back and change that. What I can do is tell myself that I'm not going to do it again, why I'm not going to do it again and make actions in my life that will prevent me from doing something like that again. And so, yeah, I think it, again, comes down to holding yourself accountable. How can you be better? How can you look at these mistakes and accept them for what they are? You don't have to hate yourself for them because, as I said, you can't fix them. But accept them and make changes accordingly. And I think that's all we can really do.
0: Yeah, I'm literally uh, out of words to respond to that. I think it's something you reiterated. I think it's something you hit You hit the nail on the head with. I don't think relationships yeah. ever are supposed to get any easier. but no, I, I they think, should be difficult. Yeah, but that just proves that they're worth it at the end of the day. Just sort of what I'll add on to any of this is like, even though I've been told it a, a million times, if you're not happy on your own, you're not going to be happy with someone else. Yeah. And that was something I thought I could write off and thought that I could find my happiness in other people. And I I mean, I still do. I, I find a lot of my joy in the company of others. But at the end of the day, taking care of yourself is really all you can do. Yeah. Quinn, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being so open. This was a blast.
1: I want to do it again.
0: Uh, you'll, you'll be back. Maybe, maybe we'll record, we'll record an episode in the sun down at Santa Clara next month.
1: Yeah. Maybe we, uh, maybe we can get some other nice individuals involved as well.
0: Yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you
0: for having me. Dude, of course. I love you, you, man. Um, it's, it's always a blast. Um, Say that to your boy. Tell him you love him. Yeah, tell your boys and you your, love them. And your girlfriends. Tell your friends you love them. Tell, tell your partners. I t- say it all the time. Yeah, normalize telling your, your guy friends you love them. Thanks again. Appreciate you forever, my man. Yeah, what, yeah. yeah. love you, man. Love this you. This was brother. a blast. Single or dating, heartbroken or honeymooning, looking or not, I hope you pulled something productive from today's discussion. I think the biggest takeaway for myself was that dating is difficult, romance is hard, and mental health is unrelenting. But being open to and about your experiences is the only way to make it work. Suppressing feelings and negative coping are not the answer. So, no matter where you are on the spectrum from going out for a romantic dinner to trying to avoid that old bittersweet photo kept tucked away of you in an old flame... I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. The blog is always up and I will continue adding to it as I address both my and our collective matters of mental health. You can find that at t t i h e t m t.wordpress.com. Feel free to leave a rating on your go-to podcasting service. It always helps. For feedback, impersonal thoughts or notes or stories, you can either DM me on Instagram or anonymously submit to the survey in the link tree. I have enjoyed every aspect of this journey so far. Thank you all for the support along the way. I hope you have a great day, and most of all, I cannot wait to keep growing with you. I'll see you next time.